Hey, this is Chris. I just had a quick message before this episode starts. We're going to be talking about anxiety on this episode, and I wanted to be clear that the kind of anxiety that we're talking about during this episode is very similar to things like stage fright. It's situational. You have anxiety for the situation, and once that's over, it sort of goes away. That's a pretty normal part of life. If you have anxiety, but you feel like it sort of never goes away or gets in the way of what you want to be doing, we just suggest that you talk to a doctor or therapist about it. Um, Andy and I are both very pro mental health. Um, we've either been in therapy or are currently in therapy or will be, and we know that in, into the future and that that's okay. Um, yeah, so just no stigma here, uh, whatsoever about that. We just want to be really clear about that upfront. Um, just in case when you're listening to this, um, it either triggers something or you feel like, oh, well, there's something wrong going on. Um, yeah, it's a healthy thing to talk about with your doctor. Um, yeah. So if you feel like you need any resources, please reach out. Um, I'm happy to, to find those for you. Although I will let you know that it's probably better to just you know, chat with a therapist directly. Um, anyway, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy the episode. It legitimately fell off the tables. <laughs> Seven. Seven. Chris, the topic we will be discussing tonight is one added fairly recently by Audrey Huggett. It is how do you deal with anxiety as a game master? Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics relating to running games. Uh, my name is Chris Salzman. My name is Andy Rao. And we have no guests this week. I apologize yet again <laughs> for that. But yeah, it's just, just us two, but I think um, that will be fine. Uh, we'll be back um, after this one with some special special kind of end of year episodes, which are going to be pretty fun. Um, and I think, I don't know, should we tell them what we're doing, Andy? Or do we want to just see if it actually happens? Let's leave it a surprise. Okay slash like wait until we're sure it's actually gonna yeah. happen so, yeah. <laughs> i think it'll be it, it'll it'll most likely happen but we're gonna have some um some previous guests back on and it'll be a, a fun thing that we're gonna do um yeah so uh andy you told me before we started recording that you had a question to start us off with i do i have i have a pair of amazing discussions to get us going here chris when this episode airs you dear listener should you live in the united states will be celebrating the holiday of thanksgiving uh, so I thought, Chris, it might be appropriate to have a couple of quick little Thanksgiving-related discussion questions here to kick off our episode. Okay. And so I have one uh, like more frivolous Thanksgiving question and one uh, more slightly more serious. It's not very much more serious, don't worry. <laughs> okay. So let's start out with the frivolous one here, Chris. And that is, Chris, in the spirit of thankfulness and gratitude, what is a game rule that you are grateful that somebody else came up with? <laughs> um, and if you need if you need a minute to think about it i can uh, i could share mine no my my immediate reaction to this was the advantage and disadvantage rule in mm, in yep. D fifth edition because it makes just so many situations just so much easier <laughs> yeah. because you can just say well that doesn't make sense you have disadvantage or you can say you know what let's see if that happens so you can have advantage <laughs> Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I, I was rereading some like D20 Modern, which mm -hmm. is like a third edition D&D &D era game. And I was amazed at how many like little situational modifiers you're expected to keep track oh, of yeah. in like a typical combat uh, round. And I've just gotten spoiled with the advantage disadvantage. On it. yeah. <laughs> it's like, is it harder or is it easier? Like yes. that's the only question you have to ask. Yeah. yeah, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Do you have uh, do you have anything that you're particularly grateful for mechanically wise? 
I do. The reason I was reading D20 Modern was to just check on, that I remembered this rule correctly, because I was introduced in D20 Modern to a rule that I'm sure predated D20 Modern, but that, this is where I encountered it. And that is the uh, idea of having a, an abstract wealth slash money system. So instead of uh, keeping track of like your 4,922 gold pieces and how many silver pieces and your monthly income and your monthly expenses, you just have a wealth bonus uh, on your character sheet. And if you want to buy something, it just has a difficulty class. And if it's hard to, if it's expensive or hard to find, it's like a, you have to roll oh. 18 and you just roll and add your wealth bonus. I've seen it implemented in various ways. I'm describing the D20 implementation of it. I've seen it implemented in other ways. But mm-hmm. man, it is so much more elegant uh, to just abstract wealth and treasure and stuff like that than to expect everybody to keep track of their loot and their income and expenses and Oh, you know, goodness, in the dungeon yes. master in the dungeon master's guide, there's like all these rules of like, if you're running a tavern, like what's your income and what are your expenses, mm-hmm. and it's like, ah, who has time for this? So it's uh the the concept is that like, basically whenever you're trying to buy something or you need to spend money, you're actually making a roll rather than depleting kind of a spreadsheet that you've written down. Exactly, and uh, the yeah. idea is we can you can certainly think of cases where it would produce unrealistic mm-hmm. situations, but in general, it works really well because it can represent. The fact that you have a, maybe a suitcase full of $100 bills, mm-hmm. but it could also represent the fact that you're just kind of a wealthy person who can draw on connections and credit mm-hmm. and liquidate assets or whatever as needed. So it's it's just like a flexible way to handle it. Yeah, like something that I'm running into a little bit with the, the campaign I'm doing is like I haven't yet really given them a lot of reasons to spend all the money they keep finding. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And like thinking about that, it's just like, well, I want to keep on giving them, you know, cool treasure and stuff. But at the same time, it's like, well, what are they going to use it for? And so trying right. to think through some of that, that is in a long term game is, is very complex. And it'd be great if it was just like, well, what do you need? Okay. You kind of have like a lot of money. So let's just, you know, you can have it or you can roll. That's a good rule. Yeah. I've, I've gone on too long about it. I apologize. But no, I've been great. bottling that up for like decades. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, you have your, your platform to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my other question, Chris, is very related. Uh, Also in the spirit of gratitude, what is something that your players have done or can do for you at the table that you are grateful for? I can start on this one. I am just grateful when players show up uh, having put some thought into the game in between game sessions, Mm -hmm. because I get that that is a tough ask sometimes because we're all really busy. You know, I don't need anyone to memorize the rule books or even purchase the rule books, that sort of thing. But I love it when characters show up and they're like, I've been thinking about my character. I've been thinking about what I want to do. And I don't know, that always just gives me a little thrill of satisfaction and Hmm. gratitude to the player. Yeah, no, that's great. I think more and more I'm just grateful when when players throw me off a little Mm. bit, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy for me to feel like I can sit down and sort of guide the session or you feel like I have some sort of control over it. And I, I love it when players do stuff where it's like, well, I didn't think about that, and now we're going to have to figure it out together. That's, I mean, that's part of the magic of gaming, right? Like, it's not just that you have forced these players sort of through whatever homebrew idea of a story that you have. It's like that you're sort of building it together. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty grateful for that, actually. Yeah, that there's Good. people that are willing to sit down and sort of do that with me <laughs> from week to week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. Well, um, whether wherever you are and whenever you're listening to this, 
we hope that you are playing with people that you are grateful to be playing with. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and if yeah, you're not, have, stop, stop playing yeah. with them. What are you doing? What are you doing, man? Yeah. Go see a movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So happy Thanksgiving. Uh, that, mm-hmm. This will be relevant one day out of each year. So yeah, you are really, yeah, you're putting some time pressure on people listening <laughs> yeah, to this, right. this episode. Um, yeah, well, we are, we're sort of beating around the bush, I think, because we're, we're probably a little anxious about the question <laughs> itself oh. about how do you deal with anxiety as a game master? And when, when Audrey brought up this question back in episode 21, I immediately was like, that is the, the best question. And we should probably just ask that one over and over <laughs> to every yeah. guest who comes on. Um, at least my experience talking with other GMs, especially on this podcast, we get to do that quite a bit, is that almost all of them bring some amount of deep-seated anxiety (laughs) anxiety to the table every time that they're they're playing or you know especially at the beginning of a a campaign um so it seems like a pretty relevant question i I guess so i should ask you andy um i mean i i definitely experience anxiety running games do you still experience anxiety i mean you've been playing games for decades oh absolutely it's it's a huge problem i mean honestly it's probably the biggest problem, you know, of mm-hmm. all these different challenging questions we've posed on this podcast over the last year, yeah. I'm amazed it's taken us this long to get to the question of the anxiety thing, because yeah. it's a big deal. It was a big deal when I was playing in high school, mm-hmm. and it's still a big deal, even though I'm a grown adult. Yeah. How about you? Uh, so you said you this is a thing for you. Mm-hmm. So what does that how does that anxiety manifest for you? So you have a game coming up in a week. Mm-hmm. What does what happens? It usually manifests with a lot of procrastination, right? Like I, this is just it's classic coping mechanisms from high school and college and stuff, right? It's like you push everything off into the last possible minute and then kind of find excuses that you can kind of blame your your non preparation on, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Like it's like oh well I ran out of time or you know something else happened so I didn't have as much time as I wanted to. Um, so I think that's that's sort of a big way that it plays in for me. But then there's also sort of this element of like over preparation too, where it's like if I just prepare enough, then I won't be anxious, right? Because I've thought of every eventuality. Um, that's yet to actually turn out because it's like that's, again, the point of, of these games is you, you don't know exactly what's going to happen when you're sitting down. Yeah. It's sort of an odd thing. To me, it's like the, the anxiety of it is similar to stage fright if you've ever experienced that, right? Public speaking, those sorts of things where you're standing up in front of someone and having to, having to speak to them. And the tension is sort of on you in a way like this hobby is you're forcing yourself into that situation over and over again Mm -hmm. (laughs) where, you know, it's an optional activity, right? But you're still doing it. And there's something good about that, right? Like you, you learn a little bit about yourself when you open up your mouth and start speaking and, and do these, you know, do preparation and, and try to interact with, with people around the table. So I think it's like, it's a fruitful thing, but that doesn't mean that it's not, it's not the easiest thing. It'd be a lot more, you know, a lot easier to just go, you know watch a movie like we were joking about before rather than sit down in front of someone and you know in front of a group and try to create something together yeah that sounds very familiar yeah and if (laughs) in if in any past discussions on this podcast i've made it sound like i prepare really well in advance like that's a huge doubt i was lying (laughs) uh, or I, i should say that is aspirational yes I mean, I remember in high school, I mean, all the way back to my first days playing games, just this strange experience of loving something and having it be the source of so much stress. Like, just it felt sometimes just like a disproportionate amount of stress, so much that I remember sometimes, you know, getting together with my friends and we'd be all ready to play and I would be just deliberately dragging things out before the game started because mm-hmm. I was just 
saying you're nervous about it or just that it's stage fright, I feel, doesn't quite hit at what it is. It's just a sort of a strange, just an anxiety about this activity you're about to plunge into. Um, Mm -hmm. What causes that anxiety, if you were to take a few guesses? Is it that people won't have fun? Is it something different? <laughs> I mean, I guess if we knew the answer to this question, we could just solve yeah. the problem and then right, that yeah. would be that. Right? <laughs> um, so what are some of the things that create anxiety in you? To me, it's sort of the, it's the unknown, but what you said there that people might not have fun where it's, you know, it's supposed to be a fun activity yeah. that you're doing, which is also just like such a weird idea. Because again, if people weren't having fun, they wouldn't show up. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's sort of that classic, like, well, I mean, no one actually wants to be hanging out with me. Like that sort of mentality. It's like, well, no, I mean, they wouldn't be there <laughs> unless they wanted to be. But I think it's, uh, it's an important thing to talk about. Yeah. Too. Cause it, it, it is this weird thing where it's every game master has sort of their own little steps of anxiety that they go through. For me, it's sort of like, as soon as I start playing, right, it, it goes away somewhat until there's a situation where it's like, I've run out of the material that I had prepared or you know whatever then it's like oh no like what are we going to do it's like well we're going to continue to do what we were doing which is having fun playing a game (laughs) together right and it'll be it'll be okay so i don't know if that even answers your question really um i feel like i'm rambling a little bit and i think the like you know so the question is about you know how do you deal with anxiety and i think for me the way i deal with it is like you know after those first couple times where it was just like you feel like you're throwing yourself off of a cliff (laughs) you know and just hoping that it's going to work you realize that like well okay all you really need to do you, you need to take the step and then the rest of the night's fun or you know the rest of the session is fun from there and like the anxiety sort of goes away or lessens Um, i think it should we should hasten to say like right there's there's a difference between sort of the anxiety we're talking about which i think is just sort of like general social anxiety and like an actual thing you should go see a therapist for (laughs) ah yes right yeah and so i think like knowing that distinction is probably going to be up to you and your therapist to sort of figure out but yeah i think the the anxiety we're talking about really is just sort of like something you can sort of get over without the aid of you know medicine or the medical professional yeah for sure and you know please um please interpret anything dumb that we say with that in mind you know we're not uh casting judgment on anybody's Mm -hmm. uh, you know medical situation or anything like that we're just purely talking about the sort of stage fright that a lot of game masters Mm -hmm. uh, feel and that you know with some work hopefully you can at least reduce or or get a handle on a question that i had that sort of related to this that i've been thinking about a lot actually lately is like most of us who play tabletop rpgs also play board games it's a very similar idea like you're sitting around a table with a bunch of people and and playing a game do you find that when you're playing board games especially if it's a game that you're having to teach everybody and sort of sort of run right a little bit like they don't know the rules do you have that same sort of anxiety that you have running a tabletop i do but it's much less it's just my personality is such that if i'm hosting a game i feel some whether it's a board game or a video game or mm-hmm. a role-playing game, I do feel responsibility for other people's fun. And yeah. that's maybe dumb of me to think, but that's just baked into my psyche and I can't get rid of it. It is much less on a board game. And with a board game, everybody shares a joint responsibility for mm-hmm. keeping things running in a way that isn't always true. And well, it isn't always the case in a role-playing game. In a well-run, well-played role-playing game, everybody is contributing to the fun and everybody is bearing a bit a little bit of that load of expectation of making mm-hmm. the experience fun in a board game that's kind of mandatory yeah. in a role-playing game it is possible for you know someone to check out uh, if they're bored or they are not having fun or whatever and 
it is possible in a role-playing game for, you know, somebody to be carrying most of the weight. And that often, that can be the game master, you know, and I don't no. feel the anxiety nearly as much with a board game, but it's there. Yeah, I don't think I do either. And I think, again, probably speaking for everybody who's listening to this podcast, like the people who are listening to this podcast are probably the ones who end up explaining board games when you're playing, right? Yeah. Like you you are the one who pulls out the rules and actually reads through it and then finds a way to synthesize it and, and share it with the group. And like that's very much a role at the table when you're playing a board game. Like there are certain people who will just n- never crack the rule book. Right, but they want to play the game, but they're not going to be the one that's going to sit down and sort of try to explain it to everybody. Either because they just they're not good at doing that sort of thing, or it's just you know like it doesn't even occur to them that they could be that person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think for me that was honestly sort of the gateway to being a GM was playing board games and realizing that every time we're playing, like, oh, I'm the one that's sort of like managing the like everybody understanding what's going on, at, you know, with the board game and like you know how to play and you know basic strategies and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so I mean, that's maybe just an ego trip thing, but yeah, it's, uh, I think, it, yeah, there's there's a lot of kind of corollaries there, but there's just like a lot of less anxiety for whatever reason. Well, one thing that has happened in role-playing games in the last decade or so that has that has been a positive movement, I think, for people, for GMs that do feel anxious about running games, there are a lot of great games out there that bake into the rules more player more player activity i guess mm-hmm. yeah. um than than it used to be in the old days running say blades of the dark or fate or dungeon world or whatever it's perfectly appropriate and expected that the players are picking up a, a lot of the creative on the fly coming up with stuff details that the gm used to be solely saddled with i i do think that if this is an issue for you as a gm there are a lot of great games that that maybe can like help by easing that load. If if the source of your anxiety is I'm having a really hard time, you know, coming with up with all this stuff. Yeah, I wonder part of it is part of it relates back to like how you treat sort of the role as a GM, right? So if you treat it like like the person that is responsible for the fun or is sort of like the god of the universe that you're creating, right? That puts a lot of pressure on the GM to have have that much control over what's going on. And I think that's uh Right, like so, like you were mentioning, sort of these newer style games where there is a little bit more control, sort of spread out around the table. It eases the the burden on one person to have sort of control of everything by making it a more collaborative collaborative environment. And then I think yeah, also drops anxiety down quite a bit. I was talking with Kyle Latino, a previous guest, um, yesterday, and he mentioned that a lot of these games are sort of coming out of like queer creators hmm. more lately, and yep. um you find that a a bunch of the language and sort of the rule sets are based around like consent language. And so it's a lot of like, yes, anding and making sure everybody at the table is comfortable and like everybody at the table is participating, things like that. Um, And I thought that was just a really, I mean, I'm sure he's not the first one to make that observation. Um, But yeah, I thought it was a really good observation because like, yeah, it's, it's a very different way of playing a role-playing game that I think if you handed that to Gygax, he probably would have been like, you're going to do what now? (laughs) Like, yeah. Well, I mean, we have this amazing rule set and like you're going to throw away all those rules and just sort of imagine together. Like, I mean, he might have gotten it, but it wouldn't have been been the vision of D&D. I know exactly what you mean. And I think that that is an argument for always greater inclusion uh, in this hobby, because new perspectives bring kind of fresh takes on some of these age old challenges and problems. I wanted to bring up something that is coming up in my life is I'm going to be playing a murder mystery 
in okay. the early part of 2020. And so it is a, it's like a written adventure module, <laughs> murder mystery, I guess is the only way that I can think about, think about it in terms that we all might understand. Yeah. Um, but there's like all these characters written up. There's sort of like a story. There's like lines given to people that they can read. And the, the thought is you get together with your friends and you like act out this murder mystery sure and then there's a there's like an envelope right that you can seal and kind of open up at the end to figure out like you know who done it <laughs> but the there's one character in it who's sort of supposed to act as like the detective character and so of course right if i'm going to be playing this i'm going to be playing that detective character right not just one of the people one of the guests um, so i'm having this very interesting set of new anxieties thinking about that because <laughs> all of a sudden it's like it's almost a larp it's almost theater you know it's a very different thing like you're going to be standing up moving around there's no dice rolling right there's nothing to really fall back on yeah. you're not gonna have a screen anything like that but yeah but it's still it's still running a game right like you're still sort of doing the same thing like there's information you're hiding and you're bringing people together helping them think about stuff and things like that so i don't know um have you ever done anything like this before have you ever done any larps or or murder mysteries, stuff like this? You know, not really. I've mm -hmm. done a few things that have are maybe tangential to them, but I've never done a murder mystery. I've never done oh, really? how to host a murder thing. I know it's okay. kind of a weird thing, and I think about running or hosting one of these things on mm -hmm. a regular basis. I just yeah. haven't got around to it. But um, And LARPing has never just really been my thing. I've mm -hmm. been, I'm interested in it kind of in the abstract, and I love hearing. I know a lot of people that LARP, and I think it's pretty fantastic, but I yeah. don't know. Just not a thing for me. So I guess that's one less source of anxiety for me. <laughs> yeah, I think what what I'm thinking through, yeah, it's like it's it's just very interesting. I mean, I think if I hadn't been playing, you know, D&D &D and stuff, the prospect of this would just be sort of horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> in a way. Yes. But instead, the, the prospect of like not being the person sort of like running as the detective was horrifying, right? Like yeah. I, I didn't want to just be like, yeah, some <laughs> someone participating, which again is something I should probably think through with a therapist. But Thinking about how things that you can do to reduce your mm -hmm. GMing anxiety. So what are some of those things that you do? Mm -hmm. So here's a simple example. Does just spending more time preparing your adventure noticeably reduce your anxiety as a GM? No. Does it for you? Maybe a bit. Okay. Um, it doesn't magically remove the anxiety, but when I'm reasonably confident that I know enough about what's going on in the adventure that I'll be able to wing it, like that does take a lot of the load of anxiety off of me. Mm -hmm. I guess my kind of nightmare scenario would be showing up as a GM, being expected to run a published adventure, and hardly having reviewed it at all in advance. Mm -hmm. Like it would be better to just make up an adventure on the fly than to be in that situation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So for me, it, it does help. And so one of the just practical ways I address anxiety is I just force myself to not procrastinate on the game prep. Yeah. So for me, that means a week before game time, I have to be spending time getting ready for the game, like reviewing mm -hmm. it, writing down stats, writing down info, that sort of thing. If I can put a little bit of time in each night for a week, that's like an ideal situation for me. Then I that mm -hmm. that really is a big confidence booster for me. Hmm. How how about you? So you said it doesn't really help to do a lot of extra prep. Explain that. Yeah, um, that's fair to ask for more follow up than my one word answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, okay. So you said something in there like if you if you have the the adventure the module memorized sort of 
enough to where you can almost just treat it like you're winging it, right? Because you just have it sort of embedded in your brain. Yep. Yeah, that, if I can do that, like there's a couple of things that I have sort of in my mind that you could ask me to run it for anybody like at any time and I could just, just go and it'd be great and be super fun. Right. Like, so that's cool to have that. It's really hard to get to that point for me, (laughs) for me. So doing any amount of prep just sort of increases the number of questions that I have about what might happen. If I'm looking at that and it's like, well, what if they go this way? And what if they go that way? And like, I need to kind of get all this information, you know, put together. And I just frankly don't have time to kind of go through every eventuality. Right. Like I've been doing this long enough to know that I won't be able to go over every eventuality as well. So yeah, like the preparation part of it, it, like it helps to a certain degree, but yeah, all of my anxiety is not wrapped up in like the preparation part of it. It's all sort of in the, like the, the session itself. Hmm. Is it sort of a, like a performative anxiety? Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So if it is more about the actual act of performing as a GM, so are there some like tricks and tips Mm -hmm. some life hacks you can share with us of of like how you deal with that yeah uh the the main one that i've been thinking about as we've been talking is having a like a a pretty good idea of the the structure of the session is super helpful to me so knowing that we are going to start at a certain time like i'm going to arrive Mm. at a certain time it's going to end at a certain time those sorts of things like the things that i can like that we sort of know we can control in some way. Right. So it's like, I know that like there's a, a, a time limit on it, um, you know, and that we're going to do, you know, a certain thing kind of right at the beginning. And like at a certain point I'm going to have to wrap it up is helpful. Yeah. I also, with all of my sessions, um, I've read competing views on this. I always do the recap as a, like a series of questions to the, um, to the table. So like we, we recap together. So rather than me saying like, Hey, this is what happened. They kind of tell me, you know, and tell the table what has happened. And that's helpful for me to sort of like settle into the mindset. So I'm not like hitting the ground running with some sort of speech about what happened last time. <laughs> yeah. It's also a good reminder to me that it's like, it's not just something that I get to kind of just tell them, right. They have to, they can tell me. And then if there's something that's like wrong or like we all disagree on it, then we can either decide what the truth is or correct each other. That's helpful. What about you? Do you have, do you have tips and tricks that you go through for Nothing amazing, but something you said really rang true with me. Thinking about the structure of a game, one thing I have found really helpful in like in the last couple of years is just to, when it's time to start the game, just like jump into the game. Just start mm-hmm. the game. Like try and cut out that like nebulous pre-game. You're sort of playing, you're, you know, you're recapping the last adventure. Mm-hmm. You're talking about what people are purchasing. You know, you're going through just a lot of sort of gamey stuff, but you haven't mm-hmm. started the game. See if yeah. you can, like for me, it I have started just cutting that stuff out because that that's like a just nervousness incubator period of time for me as a GM. Yeah. You know, because I'm just yeah. waiting like, oh, is it time to start the game yet? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. For me, I just sit there being nervous while everybody's going through the shopping lists and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I much prefer to just like jump in, keep the recap quick uh and sharper use a strategy like you just described for the recap and um you know when it's game time just start gaming and then like the flip side of that is like you said have a have an end time so that Mm -hmm. you know when you're going to end everybody so everybody knows when it's going to end um you know that takes away the stress of trying to gauge like oh is it time to quit is this the best time to stop Mm -hmm. that sort of thing you know just treat it like you would like a board game yeah we start at eight and we end at ten you know that works for a board game do it for tabletop rpg too yeah it's okay (laughs) yeah 
Have you done any reading into sort of like uh, improv or public speaking type of topics that have helped you at all as a GM? Not really. And it's something that I want to because I think there is a lot that improv can teach sort of game tables about um, just how to approach a conversation. Right. So, I mean, like the classic sort of yes and Hmm. thing from improv, I do think is super helpful. So I've never really read too much about it other than sort of seeing, you know, honestly, like YouTube videos about, you know, how to do it. Oh my goodness. I just remembered I did take one improv class back when I was 18 or 18, I think. Yeah, it was a very weird situation. I like ended up going to something that I thought was going to be like a theater performance and ended up being an improv class. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Thought about this in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and it was wild. It was I was not ready for it. <laughs> yeah, cuz they I mean they played lots of like improv games and stuff and hmm. I mean, like I mostly held out in the back as, as much as possible cuz I wanted to melt into a just of a course. puddle of embarrassment. Yes. Not to say that, like, I think now it'd be fun, but at 18, it was just deep, deeply terrifying <laughs> to be yeah. in that situation. Uh, anyway, but, yeah, back to your question. Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that would be helpful, right? Like, from everything that I've heard and read, read and seen from improv actors, it, it seems like a very cool environment in that everybody sort of has each other's back, right? Like, they all sort of understand that they're in it together, and it's not just one person who's going to go up and monologue and just be the, the star of the show. Um, do you, have you read much about it? Or? I've not. It's, it's also on my to-do list. I know there are a couple of well-regarded books mm-hmm. on this topic. Like I think there's a book called like improv for gamers yes, or gyms or something like that out there. I love to check that out at some point. I mm-hmm. just haven't got around to it, I suppose. I've thought about, yeah, taking a, some sort of theater class or public speaking thing with the express you know purpose of getting better at, um, GMing. I think that'd be a fun conversation to have with whoever's running the class too. It's like, well, I'm here because. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. One thing that I try to do that helps a little bit is just to think about what it's like when I am a player. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but when I am a player, I actually do not expect that the GM is going to create all of my fun for me. Mm And I think it is easy to assume as the GM that like, oh, if I don't do a great job, like no one will have fun. But I don't think that's how most players are coming into your game. It is possible to put too much, to put pressure on yourself that literally nobody else at the table is putting on you. Yeah. I mean, we close every episode of this with that like cheesy tagline, you know, remember if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. And it's like, well, yeah, like... I should probably write that on my GM screen, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, just in big, bold letters. It's like, that's probably the most important rule. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, well, we should wrap it up. This was super interesting. Um, Audrey, if you're listening, thanks for adding this to the table. And yeah, this this might have to be a returning question. I was just going to say that I would love to broach this again with some of our amazing guests mm-hmm. because... Not to bag on you, Chris, or on me, but yeah. you know, I don't. I have a feeling there's a lot of great insight we could get from just talking to yeah. other GMs as well. Yeah. So, if you are listening to this and you, you know GM anxiety is a thing for you, please like tell us how to fix it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, we also have an advice column, um, so if you want to send in your <laughs> questions about exactly what's going wrong. no but yeah we would love to to hear i think it's it's super fun yeah we don't really like talk too much about this but i think like it's always fun for us to hear hear people's reactions to episodes and sort of what they they thought about it and you know at what points they were screaming into their podcast player (laughs) 
their iPod, right? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Um, yeah. So, so do reach out. Um, yeah, I think maybe 2020 will be the year where all we talk about is anxiety indoors. <laughs> Just go back and forth between those two <laughs> topics. Um, yeah. Uh, I, let's see, I wanted one sort of wrap up question, right? Cause we don't, yeah. know, right. We don't have a guest. So we don't have anything else to sort of other talk about. Um, I wanted to ask sort of our, our classic question about like, what sort of media have you been consuming lately that has been like sparking sort of gaming thoughts for you oh interesting okay um, yeah i can start um i watched hotel artemis yesterday have you heard of this movie no i have it not. kind of like came and went it's this it, i was not aware of this it's sort of like a sci-fi like near future movie about this hotel in um california during some riots, I think it's like a LA riots in like 2038 or something like that. This hotel that is set up just to like fix up criminals, right? Hmm. So like, and everybody has to sort of have membership. So it reminds me a lot of John Wick, honestly. Like there's, I feel like there's a lot of parallels there, but like, so you have a membership to the hotel. So whenever you get like a bullet wound or something like that, you can go to this hotel and there's a nurse there who can take care of you, um, you know, get you fixed up and stuff. So the, the movie is set on like kind of one really bad night at the, at that hotel where three or four stories sort of collide all at once. But yeah, it's super stylistic. The The cast is really fun. Um, but yeah, it just had me, of course, thinking about like that setting is really fun. Like this exclusive, you know, hotel for criminals where they can go and get, you know, get healed when they have gunshot wounds um, yeah. you know, and, and things like that. The movie itself was fine. It was enjoyable. Um, if you like movies that are sort of based around like, let's get a bunch of charismatic actors together and let them play sort of weird characters. Um, which I love movies like that. So that, <laughs> so it's totally up my alley. Yeah. So like other movies like that, um, there is Knives Out is coming out pretty soon. That's a similar, I feel like, style. I've got my eye on that one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just like you get a bunch of sort of famous people doing like weird characters together. It's going to be yeah. a, a fun time. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's like a, a, a lukewarm recommendation for Hotel Artemis. But I think if you if you like games and sort of thinking through like how a scenario might go down, I think it's it's worthwhile watching. As for me, I've got, I guess, two things spring to mind. One is a video game thing because I'm a video game nerd like mm-hmm. you, Chris. Yeah. And I have been playing a game called Ion Fury. It is a retro FPS first person shooter hmm. built in the game engine that powered like Duke Nukem 3D and a couple of other games back in really? the mid late 90s. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know for sure, but I think a couple of the like Duke Nukem 3D designers are behind it. Okay. Anyway, so it, it's a throwback, it's a nostalgic game, but it just uh, playing through it just has a very Dungeons and Dragonsy feel to the design of the levels. Hmm. There was this era in like shooters, and I I'll try not to go too deep into the weeds of video game history here, but oh, I'm here for this. <laughs> An era of shooters where the environments were just amazing. And it was in like the mid-late 90s where I feel like there's this peak of just amazing, amazing levels in these games that were open and non-linear and full of interesting different interconnected areas. Not too long after like the 90s, video games and video game shooters started getting more linear. So you were... Like you didn't have a lot of choice about like which way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that's a bad choice because some amazing games came out of that. But these old Doom and Duke Nukem 3D, and in this case, Ion Fury levels, they're these big, these sprawling levels you're expected to backtrack 
repeatedly through the levels as you explore it and as you run into dead ends. And in almost every level, there's like a point where you're just kind of not not sure where to go. So you're exploring, you're revisiting stuff that you maybe raced past initially, looking for details you missed. And every now and then the game will drop new enemies or encounters into an area that you had thought you had cleared. And I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it just gives me, I find it very inspirational as a GM to think about dungeon levels, not as like an obstacle course that the PCs need to get through, but as kind of an, a big, interesting, open area that the players are invited to just explore at their pace. And hmm. That, that only works for some kinds of Dungeons & Dragons games. But if you haven't done that, you know, it's take a look at your dungeon design and ask yourself, you know, is can the PCs just explore around and get lost in this? Or is there an obvious path for them to choose? And, you know, I don't know, maybe consider leaning into that openness hmm. uh, and and choice of navigation. So, okay, that was my really long-winded um, thing. No, the other really thing cool. I'll, I'll be more brief about, I somewhat anxiously read a, uh, a manga my I say manga yeah. and my 12 year old daughter um, yeah. gripes at me that it's actually manga dad <laughs> uh, I read a horror manga by Junji Ito who I guess is uh, considered one of the mm-hmm. like one of the great horror manga artists I read Uzumaki is the name of it and if you are feeling a little bored with Lovecraft mm-hmm. uh, this was a good read for me because I you know I love HP Lovecraft I love Call of Cthulhu but you know, man, Cthulhu is in everything these days, and it can—it's just there's a lot of overexposure of the Cthulhu mythos going on. Yeah. And I thought Uzumaki was a pretty evocative and successful attempt to poke at some of those Lovecraftian ideas and themes, but without falling back on you know the actual Lovecraftian mythos huh. um, and imagery. So. I don't, it, you know, I recommend it with caution because it's horror and it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's definitely an R-rated sort of situation. But if that's your bag um, and you're kind of bored with Cthulhu, I don't know, Junji Ito, I'm sure he's published a lot of stuff. So I don't know, check him out. Is it in a compendium? I mean, yeah, or is it, I mean, is it ongoing? Or? I got a collected like omnibus edition mm-hmm. that I think collects it from beginning to end. Okay. I don't think that it is ongoing. Cool. Um, so recommended with that, you know, yellow flag of caution. If, yeah. If that's not a nice Christmas read. Yeah. My daughter, I am not recommending it to my daughter. She's, she was disappointed, but I was like, I don't know if you (laughs) want to like sneak behind my back and read this, that's probably a a pretty typical teenager thing for you to do. And that'd probably be fine, but I can't in good conscience recommend that you read Mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Just don't tell me, (laughs) just Just be freaked out on your own. Don't tell me. Um, well we should add a topic to the table. Um, and I have, I have an idea unless you, you have something. Well, you having an idea is more than I have, so let's hear it. Perfect. Something I've been thinking about quite a bit lately is how do you make travel from point A to point B interesting? Ooh, yes. Oh, this came up in like the Discord. uh... Yeah, I think I brought it up because um, I had a couple of sessions of travel that were just like not working. (laughs) And it's totally my fault. So this is is a self-serving topic. I want to just hear how other people actually handle this. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's a super practical one. And I would love to jump into that, but we'll have to wait for a future episode (laughs) and the, and the roll of the die. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you everybody who, who has listened again. We just appreciate it a lot. Like, yeah, you have a billion other podcasts you could be listening to. So it's, it's just huge that you spent any amount of time with us. Yes. We appreciate it. Um, yeah. And as always, if you have someone that you feel like should be on this podcast, please, um, 
shoot us a message and I will go bother them directly to get them on the podcast. Um, we're always looking for new guests. Um, but yeah, I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rowe. And remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. Mm-hmm.